This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. The challenge before us is to come together. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean. They're crying across Dear friends, welcome to Labor Radio Podcast Network Profile Series, highlighting the work of network members. The growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content, and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Gene Lance of the Workers Beat Radio. So Gene, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organize labor. I'm an immigrant here in Texas. I'm actually from Oklahoma. I was raised in Ada, Oklahoma. And what led me to organize labor was the realization as a radical student that only labor was able to confront the bosses. And that if we wanted to see any kind of change, it was going to have to be with uh, the movement of the working class. I was a machinist in a a factory until I retired. In, in, uh, In a union as well. Yeah, UAW. In there's some no not in Oklahoma. There's some uh, in in Oklahoma I worked in the oil fields, but I'm really old. Uh, this goes you know, this goes back a long way for me. Uh but in uh nineteen seventy-eight I got a job in uh in the steel workers, and then later on in nineteen seventy-eight I got a job that was the UAW organized. And uh and from then I stayed with them. And I I, I became the editor when I got fired. We had a, a big contract fight in 1984, 1985, and I was one of the first ones fired. And so for all of the whole next year, uh, I moved up in, in reputation and leadership because I was one of the firees. And then when we all got our jobs back, uh, that, that by then I was the editor. Where were you in the UAW? Like which city were you working out of? Well, right outside of Dallas is one of the towns that's called Grand Prairie. It's one of the cities, one of the many cities between Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, there's airplane factories pretty much all around Dallas and Fort Worth. A lot of military. Used to be an air ba- a naval air base here. And the factory I worked at was was right next to that naval air base, and it was created during World War II to build the the Corsair. If you ever watch those old uh, World War II movies about the flat tops uh, and all the planes that they came from, a lot of them came from the Grand Prairie. Wow! So you were a machinist working on um, airplanes, yeah, aircraft. Uh, some of it military, but most most of it is uh, commercial. They still the, the union still exists, although it's on its last legs. So a lot of people 
may not even be aware of labor news and or have never been in a union or know anyone in a union. So could, could you talk a little bit about why unions and organized labor are important and should be covered in the news? Some of the old people, older people like me, see the labor as being something that's isolated and, and different from the rest of the movement. But that has not been true since 1995. Uh, American labor, especially the American Federation of Labor, CIO, AFL-CIO, has been reaching out to church people, to, uh, to uh, civil rights organizations, community organizations, women's organizations, civil rights types of organizations, and uh, trying to build a truly progressive movement. Nobody else can do it. Labor is the core of the progressive movement. And in my youth, they didn't really do much of a good job on that. But since 1995, uh, they, they have been, they've been working very hard on it and it's working and you can see it in the progress that we're making in America today. So why 1995, why, why that year is being a-, a 1995 was the first year since the beginning of the AFL, that the outgoing leadership did not pick their own successors. There was a, an election in 1995 in which some of the more progressive unions, the ones that had been doing a better job on recruiting and organizing, uh, ran against the, the, uh, the incumbent slate and won. And from then on, uh, they immediately began to change some of the more reactionary, uh, backward and isolationist policies that had been followed in the United States labor movement from 1947 to 1995. So an actual democratization within the union itself is part of the change. It was a sea change. It was a tremendous change. Could you talk a bit about your show and why you wanted to start it or how you came across it and what it's about? KNON Radio uh, has been around Dallas since uh, the early 1970s. And uh, well, it, it got started raising money and, and uh, I think it actually went on the air in 1978. Uh, the Workers Beat was a part of that then. They didn't call on me until the 1990s. Uh, when they asked me if I would do one show a week. At that time, I was heading up the organization called Jobs with Justice that was doing a lot of outreach and a lot of solidarity work. And so they wanted me to do one show a week. In, 19, in 2006, uh, they fired the guy who was uh, the MC for the show and uh, asked me if I would start doing it regularly on a volunteer basis. So since 2006, I've, I've done the show. Uh, it's an hour long talk show. And, uh, you know, we get to say a few things. We get to introduce the program, but basically uh, my co-host, Bonnie Mathias and I, basically we answer the phone and the community speaks. So what, Talk a little bit about organized labor in, in, in Dallas and in Texas, and uh, what's the landscape there for people who may be outside of it? In about uh, 2012, 2013, the Dallas AFL-CIO 
got fully on the national program. They started working with Teferi Gabri from the national leadership and uh, started really reaching out and being a part of the whole community uh, that previously, you know, we had uh, been more of a pork chop organization where we looked for things that uh, union members were particularly concerned about such as wages and benefits and did not really take on social programs. But since about 2012, 2013, the Dallas AFL-CIO has been right in there with, with the, whole, uh, the whole progressive movement. So that to me uh, fit right in with our radio show, which that, and it also fit in with Jobs with Justice. So the two all came together, the three all came together. And uh, since then I've been uh, the communications director for the AFL-CIO as well as a talk show host on KNON radio. Sometimes employers will pit immigrant labor against, you know, non-immigrant labor, even though we're, you know, I think we're all ultimately immigrants coming from somewhere and going somewhere. Um, in Texas, obviously, there's a very large uh, Latino population. Um, is that, has that been an issue that you've seen? Uh, or, well, or the dynamics, I guess, of with labor unions and, and immigration is my question. I mentioned a while ago that everything in the AFL-CIO changed in 1995. In 1999, they changed their position on immigrants. Prior to that time, going all the way back to the, to the Chinese Exclusion Act, the AFL had, been, uh, had called for the deportation of immigrants. So after 1999, and that coincided for us here in Dallas with uh, something we were working on, we were gonna do a, a march for Cesar Chavez's birthday. And uh, just about that same time, the AFL-CIO executive board changed their position on undocumented workers and said, let's organize them and let's quit, quit asking people to deport them. And so that great change came and hit Dallas like a ton of bricks because we were just starting to organize a big Cesar Chavez march. And we had about 2,000, which is really big for here. Some people said 10,000, but I, I'd say we had a good 2,000. And uh, that was really great. But you might be surprised to learn, if you don't already know, that there are divisions within the civil rights movement. KNON has, uh, to, to a large extent, is a, is a civil rights leader in Dallas and always has been. A lot of the uh, uh, programming is African-American. A lot of the music is soul music and old R&B. So uh, we have a lot of African-American uh, callers on our talk show. And you might be surprised to learn that they're not all on board with uh, organizing the undocumented. Something I heard on your show over the summer was a essay that you read that you also wrote, I presume, talking about hippies and anarchists. And you discuss a little bit about how they are supposedly two different camps, yet they oftentimes come together uh, to have the same ideological construct. And they serve the same purposes, even if they're unaware of it. Uh, I, I definitely would like to put that in the show notes, but could you just talk a little bit about uh, that perspective that you shared? 
Well, hippies and anarchists share one, one characteristic that is extremely different from our struggle in labor and anybody's struggle in the mass movement. Hippies and anarchists expect instant gratification. They think that some one event or some one thing that, that they might pull off, one trick or, or gambit or something, is going to just change everything. And so they, uh, they are like children in that they expect instant gratification from their political efforts. A really good example of that was, is on Netflix right now. There's a program called The Trial of the Chicago Seven. And in, that, in the discussions that the Chicago Seven defendants had among themselves, they talk about how they're going to try to end the war and how they're going to try to build a mass movement and how they're going to make a revolution. And their, their ideas are very, very different. The, uh, the hippie outlook at that time in 1968 was represented by a guy named Abby Hoffman and another guy named Jerry Rubin. They're both portrayed in the movie and they kind of steal the movie because they have the most fun things to say and the most, they get all the good lines. But uh, their idea is to uh, embarrass the, the society and consequently they'll just they'll get everybody to change immediately because people will see how ridiculous they are yeah and something that i've i've seen too is this kind of drop out tune out disengage and it's usually the people who uh have a very nice trust fund that can get away with that and they ultimately many of them come around to become reactionaries in their their older days and then a lot of the anarchists we're seeing have destroyed a lot of these movements by just doing uh, senseless violence against federal buildings that then uh, was the provocation to allow uh, federal troops to be deployed out there. And there's no demands, where are the demands? And ultimately that instant gratification is so true, like breaking a window is not the path to the revolution though. Um, some people will argue that it's, it's gonna be long struggle it's gonna be a lot of education organizing mobilization and uh, i really appreciated that so i just wanted to bring that up we had a we had an interesting case in dallas three or four years ago there was a civil rights march downtown and some guy without uh without any connection to the movement brought a a, a rifle and shot five policemen downtown uh they blew him up with a hand grenade but if his goal was to improve the civil rights situation, he failed miserably because uh, immediately after that, the city council started passing hundreds of thousands of dollars more in budgets for the police. The unions, I had the embarrassing moment myself as a communications director. I had to accompany a, a number of union leaders over to the police benevolent association where they all brought checks for the, for the police, and of course they they all wanted to get the police union into uh, the AFL-CIO, into the Central Labor Council, and uh, the expressions of solidarity with the police. There were blue ribbons on all the trees, not not all the trees, but on many of the trees in Dallas, and uh, there were ceremonies and and speeches being made, and. Uh, and they still do it every year on the anniversary of the death of those five uh, officers. Uh, they have uh, another big push for back the blue here in Dallas. Uh, so the guy 
if he thought that by going down there and shooting police that he was going to uh, make some progressive change, he, he failed. Uh, I don't think that anarchists are uh, just troublemakers. I don't think they're just uh, uh, crazy or something. I think they sincerely believe that they can make a big change with uh, you know, momentary actions. I would also like to interject that there have been many cases of documented agent provocateurs as well and in, within these so-called anarchists too. So that, that's also an issue, but that's for a different discussion. So It's hard to tell a police agent from an anarchist. So returning it back uh, to the Labor Radio Podcast Network, as a member of this network, could you talk a little bit about how you heard about it and why you think this network is important and why you joined it? I think I'm a, I think I'm a charter member. I think I was at the first meeting. Uh, the, a guy named Chris Garlock in Washington, D.C. started it. And uh, there's such talent, such amazing ability, especially at the technical level, uh, that it just shot, it just shot forward. It's, it's less than a year old now, I think. And uh, we're up to over 70 participants. And labor uh, news, which used to be like practically unknown, is uh, getting out everywhere over the airwaves and, and on the podcasts. I think that we have the potential right now, if we had a small grant, I think we have the potential right now to start a, an online radio station and, 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 uh, and talk labor 24 seven. And I think that would be a big success. I think it would, I think it would take off and I think uh, it could happen. Yeah, and I, I came, I joined, uh, I guess, in June. Um, well, I started doing some of the editing in June and started joining the meetings, I think, back in April, May. And uh, I've just been so impressed by all the people like yourself who've been uh, in the trenches for a very long time. And I've learned a lot and I'm, I'm humble next to um, being around uh, such veterans. So really appreciate that. The, the level of, of knowledge among those guys is intimidating to someone like me who didn't grow up with the internet. Uh, it's amazing to me that, 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 that they have uh, such far reaching capabilities and can do so many wonderful things. I'm forever asking for advice. And even, <laughs> even then, sometimes I don't even understand the advice, but I, I'm, I'm bringing up the rear, I would say. So in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? I see opportunity and hope in the, in the, in the upsurge that we are dealing with today. You could see uh, during this past summer, you could see a lot of young people out on the Black Lives Matter movement. But if you talked to them, they were, they were going far beyond civil rights. They were asking questions about uh, Venezuela and Bolivia and uh, uh, things that happened in 1917 or, or in the 1930s. There's studying going on and uh, new approaches being laid and, uh, and uh, uh, intercourse among all these young people today that frankly, I can't keep up. 
and uh, and I just when when I when I run across one of them that I can help in some way, I try to do it because uh, they're the future and they are they are making magnificent strides that, in my opinion, has not yet uh, coalesced around organized labor, but it will because it must. Because as they keep trying different things and keep failing with this or doing a little better with that, uh, just in the nature of uh, experiment, they're going to eventually come to the same conclusion that I reached back in the 1970s, which is that only the working class can confront the bosses. Better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free 